Welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It is I, Chris Denson, the Densonologist, um, here with the the queen of ologies, uh, Ellie Ward. Say hello. Hi. How Very excited to be here. Are you? You're, it, I, didn't, it didn't sound excited. I was trying. I came in so hot with that high that I was like, tone it down, mm-hmm. Ellie. And then I calibrated. Yeah. Then I had to be like excited to be here because I came in like I was talking to a puppy. So I was like, all right, chill out. <laughs> I don't know if I take offense to that or not. <laughs> I was just very, very. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for the folks who may not know, uh, what what is an alley ward? An alley ward is uh, an elective redhead. This is not natural. And uh, I'm a correspondent on CBS's show, The Henry Ford's Innovation Nation with Mo Rocca. It's mm-hmm. a very long title yeah, and a good program. <laughs> no acronym. Yeah, no. No. The H F. You know, we call it HFIN sometimes in shorthand, no. but you you know, you do you. HFIN is good. But that's different than HNIC, which Good point. That's a whole other whole other thing. I don't know what that is. I'm gonna be honest. It's with you. a it's a term we use in the community for the person who's in charge. Okay. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Got it. No, just uh, Henry Ford's Innovation Nation with Mo Rocca. There you go. Title. So I'm a correspondent on that, and uh, and I write a segment called Vocabulary, which uh, I discuss terms and their meanings. And then I also have a podcast called Ologies. It's a different ologist every episode, which means we have to get a Densonologist on. Um, <laughs> there's, there's only one. I here. know. I know. It's very thrilling. <laughs> um, the, you're both researcher and subject. Right. Of the same ology. Uh, yeah, that's how that's how I roll. I know, which would be so exciting. Study and experiment on myself. Um, do you have any objectivity as a researcher in densinology? Um, that was a little too science of scienty of a of a sentence for me, but yes. How about that? Uh, yeah, that's a good answer. <laughs> there's an answer. Um, that's a, that's quite the the resume. Um, but let's let's get into um, uh, the innovation nation portion of it. I'm just going to abbreviate it to innovation. Yeah, nation, that's what we mind. do. <laughs> that's our shorthand. Um, so how did that come to be for you? Because I, I mean, we've known each other for a while, and I've I known do. a lot of different iterations of Alley Ward, all redheaded though. Yep. Um, but how did innovation nation come to life for you uh, in your in your career? Well, I'd always loved science and uh, in media. So I studied biology and uh, TV and film in college. And I always wanted to do something with the two of them. And um, I wound up as a writer for the LA Times. And uh, I wanted to get back into broadcast. I ended up getting into broadcast because this video I did went viral. It was disgusting. It was um, a cocktail made out of a milkshake and chicken nuggets we don't have to talk about it but anyway i ended up working for cooking <laughs> channel um with a friend is that what it takes to get a, a job on the cooking channel you, just, you have to make a disgusting uh cocktail literally evidently because <laughs> in subsequent seasons they were like hey can you blend a piece of pie in the blender and i was like i mean the answer is yes the, the, the I? always yeah. yes <laughs> can i is a yes should I as a no, but um, so I did that for a while. And but I always, I, my heart was always in science, and I kind of did food TV. It was fun, and it was goofy, and it was interesting, and I traveled around for it and stuff. But I always really wanted to do science stuff. Like you know, I'm I love innovation, and I love science. Stuff. So um, so I started volunteering at the Natural History Museum. Have you been to it in LA downtown? Yes, I yes. have. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite wing there? 
I haven't been there enough to have a favorite wing, but I went for what, like an insect exhibit. Yes, um, probably it did. was last year. And like, and that was great. Like the, the people that go crazy over bugs. Yeah. Like, you know, I enter those kind of communities. I'm like, I'm an observer and a part like I'm a, <laughs> you know, I'm an unwilling participant, but especially when you have kids, you're like, all right, yeah, let me show up. Yeah. But to see people like that are nuts over just the, what I, you know, what we may consider minutia is pretty uh, intense. I know I'm one of those people. I so love I have, bugs. My favorite wing is the bug wings. The bug wings. <laughs> I love the bug exhibit there. I started. I I love that place. I started volunteering there because I had a really sad summer. I had like a really bad breakup. My dad got sick. Just all this stuff went wrong, and um. And someone suggested that I volunteer there. And I was like, wow, I don't even know how to volunteer at a museum. Anyway, I went through orientation and I was like, sure, man, why not? So I worked there like Wednesday mornings, three hours a week for zero dollars. Like, while in between like shooting segments for cooking channel and stuff. And I have a, I have a friend who works on science shows and recommended me as a host. It's like, yeah, she's, you know, she was a science major, a film major, and she's, you know, she's down at the museum sometimes. And anyway, I met with the Innovation Nation people and they were so great. And they had, you know, they were just working on season one of this show. They hadn't launched it yet. And I, and I told them how excited I was about science and I'd done a lot of TV, but um, this would be like my first real spot as a correspondent. And I love this show. I've gotten to do it for, I think we're starting season five now. Wow. Our hundredth episode is coming out later on this month, I think on the... Two Saturdays from now. Well, so. congratulations. Yeah. So That's pretty awesome. So we we troll around town and we just interview innovators. So, yeah. So walk walk us through like, in, I mean, I've, I've seen it CBS Saturday mornings. Yes. yes. Um, uh, but like, just walk us through an episode of what gets covered. Because it's it, it, one thing I really admire about the show is that it's really fun and digestible. Right. It's not like over the top, hit you in the head with scientific facts. And there's a lot of shows out there that do it. Mm-hmm. But um but just kind of walk us through like a you know the storytelling in in one particular episode. Yeah, it's um it's put on by the Henry Ford, which is a museum in Dearborn outside of Detroit. And um my sister lived in in Detroit for like ten years, so I I already love Detroit. So do we have do we have a Detroit conversation before? You're from, wait, you're from Michigan. Yeah, that's my hometown. I'm from Detroit. What part of Detroit? Seven Mile Grand River. Oh my yep. goodness. Yep. I went to Southfield Lathrop. Went to Michigan State. Shout out to my Chargers and my Spartans. Not that, not that this episode is about me. No, I, Con- I, continue. I get to Detroit all day. I love it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. But um, so Dearborn is just outside of it. So I was familiar with the museum. I was familiar with the area. So um, so it's put on by the museum. And so Mo Rocca is from The Daily Show's like... He's great. He's the main host. And so they shoot a segment for every episode in the museum, usually about something in their collections, whether it's like uh, like the Dymaxion house, this crazy old weird house that was built in the 50s that looks like Jiffy Pop. It's like round and silver and was like the house of the future to like, um, you know, the Wright Brothers planes to all these. They have so many cool exhibits. So they talk to a curator. They do a segment there. And then um, and then there are a few of us correspondents that they send out. Um, Albert Lawrence is one and Adam Yamaguchi is another. And we are kind of field correspondents. So we go all over the country and sometimes this, we've been all over the world now, like England and um, Sweden and stuff, and talk to inventors and ask them, like, what's the deal here? How, how did you invent what's this? What's wrong with you? Yeah. How, is, <laughs> how does your brain work? Yeah. Like, um, and I've invented... 
I mean, I've invented. I'm not inventing anything. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you've invented. You invented a chicken McNuggetini. That's so. all. That's the scope it, of my. You innovation. took some other people's stuff and put it <laughs> yeah, together. Exactly. That's kind of invention. It's a hack. I yeah, yeah. Call there you go. A, a, a shake hack. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've interviewed like people who've invented, like Marty Cooper invented the cell phone to this. Um, you know, the amazing inventors. Like the first segment I ever did was this, this uh, woman who was 18 years old, got a $100,000 scholarship to MIT for working on biofuel and algae. So it's just all of these different amazing inventors um, who have done these these great things. And we talk about like their failures along the way and how they how they got up and kept inventing and and what advice they give to future innovators. So it's really cool. It's also very like. You walk away like with a little self-help nugget. I usually do. I'm like, did you use the word nugget on purpose? I did not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is all we're going to talk about this whole time. I was too chicken. No, I, I, but I, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, hey, what's in it for the audience? Yes, of course. Um, please answer that. But also, what's in it for you? You know, I think sometimes as a host, like you're going around and you're like educating yourself right. for an audience so there's like a double layer there the what's that experience like from what's in it for the audience and what's in it for you yeah i guess you probably know that too because you interview interview interesting minds and inventors but if you're not actually interested your questions are going to come off it's probably a little tepid like so why this you know it's not... <laughs> what's that over there <laughs> yeah um and so i think for me i'm always i'm really interested in the jump it takes from idea to from conception to execution that leap is huge because like how many notebooks do you have full of ideas for books or podcasts or talks or you know robot arms or whatever that or reams of paper reams of paper i do i did purchase <laughs> at staples across the street right before this a bunch of paper that i use in my idea books but i think that there's such a leap between like making something a reality and that to me is what's really interesting is like it's great to have an idea but like how do you go through the obstacle course to to execute it because it's like someone's going to be like that idea sucks and you're gonna be like oh maybe they're right you know? <laughs> or, or your your first mold is gonna melt or you're gonna try it a thousand times it's not gonna work or you're gonna run out of funding or you're gonna someone else is gonna come up with something that hits the market right before yours and maybe it's not as good so you gotta keep going so i think it's always interesting um i think that's the takeaway so much is not only like keep innovating but like the show's whole motto is um is dream big and don't quit because mm. that's like what we hear from so many innovators it's like yeah like try to think of, of something that the world needs and you know sky's the limit and just keep at it yeah that and that even in, in that journey like how much do you guys cover the in-between right the in-between yeah because what it is is always fascinating you yeah know, in most cases because from a curation standpoint but then yes is and i find at least with this show it's like there's there's very there's some similarities about personalities, but there's also just who that individual is as a weirdo. They're yeah. all in their own zone, present company included. Uh -huh. But, but you know what? What have you seen? Maybe some stories or just some examples of things you've seen in between those two points. Oh man, um, you know one innovator. We this one comes out this this coming Saturday. Um, Lonnie Johnson. He's in Atlanta, and he's like like rocket scientists, like nuclear physicists. I can't even, I can't even recall his whole, his whole resume, but he's this really incredible engineer who worked on like the Galileo spacecraft um, for NASA. And he is right now he's working on, um, on some solar arrays and also some better battery um, 
technology. So he's a, he's a hardcore engineer. He started in robotics in high school. But, um, but the thing that he made millions on was the super soaker, which was the squirt gun that yep. can just douse you. <laughs> yes. And he has so many patents. Like his office is just, it's like wallpapered with these plaques of patents. He's constantly thinking, constantly iterating. And that was one idea he just was like, his daughter was like in a water gun fight and he's like, yeah, we could do this better. And so he starts coming up with this like a hydraulic pump and he's like, okay, so he fashions it out of PVC pipe and first time he tried it, he was filled it up in the bathroom and he just did a pump and he saw the force that it squirted with and he was like, oh man, I'm onto something here. And so he went into a toy company and he said that he was in a meeting and he's like, you guys want to see this thing? And they're like, yeah, he squirt it. And so he does it across the boardroom and he just like sold it that day. Everyone's like, what? And we're so used to it now. But, you know, that's not his most technological invention. Sure. But that was something that just took off in such an insane way. And he uses the revenue from that to fund all kinds of programs for engineering outreach and to fund, um, you know, more, you might say, like complicated technologies. So, right. so his story is so fascinating because you're like, here's this NASA engineer who's like, Made a crazy water gun, man. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, but it, I think it does take that eye for playfulness for a yes. lot of innovators, I'll say, you know, um, and not being so rigid and this is my science, this is my craft, spotting an opportunity. And yeah, like I've had probably a dozen ideas about like how to make a water gun better. What if we, and yeah. then I, but I don't do it. Yeah. Right. Um, I think, and I think that's, so, and I, I like, speaking of the playfulness, I like the fact that the show does have this tint of humor. Like, I mean, Mo's pretty weird and silly. Yeah, like, you're either. hilarious. Um, how important you. is it? Is that lightheartedness to the process of, of creating the show? You know, I think that I was I was lucky that I was one of the first correspondents that they hired. And so I, this is so terrible, but I have also done some comedy stuff, like Key and Peele, and I did Drunk History. So I've done some Comedy Central stuff. And um like you know live comedy things and so i was really worried because they had me on they wanted me on and i was like okay at some point they're going to find out that i did drunk history and they're going to fire me <laughs> i was like <laughs> i waited till the contracts exactly. were signed i was yep. like i had my paperwork and i was like do you guys know that i did this thing and they're like oh yeah no we saw it right away before we even had before we even interviewed we thought we thought it was hilarious and i was like okay so okay so i can be myself kind of and granted it's like you know it's an all ages show so i you know i have to keep it clean but they it was really great to know that they were definitely up for you know like Mo's background was a daily show and stuff so they were up for um kind of dry humor weird humor and i don't know i think it's kind of important because so there's this big gulf in science between like you're a scientist so that means you're serious and smart i'm not a scientist that means i'm weird and goofy but i think that like getting that out of the, the scientists and innovators right getting those little human moments of like you know of either failure or or success or or humility is like really helps the audience connect yeah no like the human i tell people all the time like this these conversations are very much human interest stories yes right because it's these are these are life lessons you know the fact that you know uh lonnie is it Mm -hmm. was able to just 
cap capture that opportunity and use it to do what he really wants it like all of us are in some form of that situation where yeah. you're like you're doing something and you're you actually have your eye on another prize mm-hmm. <laughs> right and and sometimes the means to an end isn't always a linear you know path totally and and it's interesting too because then there there are a lot of innovators we talk to who have other jobs while they're tinkering on something they're super passionate about um like uh, Easton La Chapelle is someone that I just interviewed uh, for the season in Colorado. He's 22 years old, but at 14, he invented a um, a robotic arm. He was kind of tinkering and out of he made it out of like Lego blocks and fishing wire, and he ended up kind of stumbling upon something that could be really useful for amputees. And so he now is able to make those those. Uh, prosthetic arms cost like eighty thousand dollars but he's able to do it for like five grand and it works better and it's more lifelike and he is so passionate about it like it is what he lives and breathes you know so it's really cool to see i'm not going to go out and make an amazing robotic arm this guy is really into it he's the dude for the job he's working tirelessly so it's interesting too to see how diverse people's passions are you know and that's been really cool. You said something uh, a second ago around just like the different personality expectations, mm-hmm. right? Like you're the comedy person. Oh, they, hopefully they didn't see the drunk history episode. Yeah. And I'm sure that, like there was a real, there's a slight amount of real fear there, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, or even when we talked before, you're like, I don't know if I can be my full comedy self, right? <laughs> right? Because we wouldn't be dropping a lot of effort. Yeah, yeah, you, you have <laughs> the fiery red hair adds to the fiery humor. Um, but, you know, did it take, uh, maybe this is just for, for me, but did it, what was your process or what went into you embracing all of who you are? You know, science, comedy, nerd, host, you know what I mean? Like all these different things and being comfortable to to walk in that. Oh, that's such a good question. I think it's so hard too for people who are performers and also journalists and writers when you wear a lot of hats and you're like, I don't know which aspect of me is the one that I mean, because at the end of the day, too, you've got to you've got to pay rent, you've got to pay a mortgage, you've got car insurance. Like, so this is also this is also a job for us. So it's hard when you have kind of diverse interests to be like, well, which one should I bank on? You know, like, am I going to follow this thing and it's going to end up I'm going to live under a bridge. So I think it was <laughs> tough for me because I was like for a long time when I was doing a lot of food stuff and cooking channel, I was afraid to post pictures of like bugs I found or the museum on my Instagram because it was like. Well, people are gonna be like, what? I follow you for like tips on how to make margaritas and like how to have a party, how to make a surprise party for my friends. And so I kind of started gradually doing that. And I started seeing feedback from people being like, oh, that's so cool. I didn't know you were into this. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of my real self. <laughs> You're like, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is cool. I know. <laughs> and so I think like what I'm realizing or what it led me to realize is like how, how much science needs humor and a lot of times how much comedy needs substance, you know? So I think I didn't realize that there was a need for both and both. And it's, it's let me, like I make this podcast ologies. I started making it like I started in September, but it, it was an idea that I wanted to do for literally 15 years. Like I saw a list of ologies 15 years ago on the internet and I just like got nauseous with excitement. I was just nauseous. I was like, this is so, there's the ology about clouds and clowns and bees and all kinds of stuff. And I was like, someone's got to do something on this. And then I sat on it forever because I was just afraid of messing it up. I was afraid of not doing it right. And I finally put it out as a podcast. And it's like, that to me has been really great because, you know, that is 
not all ages. Some people listen with their kids, but I swear and I talk about, yeah. you know, adult things in it. And um, can I cuss on my show? Yes, you can cuss all you want. <laughs> I was going to say chodes. I just want to say chode. That's all. <laughs> we weren't talking. So, about you just saying me cuss word. It's just, it's just biology. <laughs> that's a design yeah, term. That's a design flaw. <laughs> yes, it is. Nature's design flaw. It really is. Everything that's an in oopsie. That three inch area is useless. Um, so. <laughs> this last episode was evolutionary biology, so there's who knows. There oh, might there be something go. about it. But I, I vote for removing the chode. <laughs> yes. Can you vote on like evolution? I think it'll phase itself yeah, yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Work itself out of the But I think like doing ologies has been such has been such a, a weirdly affirming thing where I'm like, okay, I can I can really be myself. I can say anything I want. And to have an audience and to have the audience build and not I was so afraid I was gonna put it out and like a thousand people were gonna listen and then be like yeah no (laughs) and like go away but it's been really cool to see it build and see that there's been a need for that I guess it's just someone to talk about science in a way that's like the dirty stuff and not like you know super super sick but just like the the weird gross stuff in the foibles and labs and people changing majors and stuff so um as a science studier did you ever do science Mm-hmm. Ever, what, uh, so how how deep does your science uh, how deep do your science roots go? My science roots. How how appropriate is it for me to wear a lab coat without it being like stolen valor? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I you know I studied I was, I got a microscope when I was like seven or eight and just as like kind of an offhanded like I think I think what happened was my dad was probably in charge of Christmas presents that year like last minute and he probably just was like sure put this in the basket <laughs> and um. I think they were expecting a boy when they had me, which was great because it fostered this interest in science in me. Are you now. an only child? No, okay. I, I'm a th- the third daughter. So mm-hmm. I grew up being oh, like... Oh, they were like, yeah, let's give yep. some Hot Wheels. And then yeah. it was like, oh, well, let's take those back. <laughs> I grew up going to like car shows and like I have so many power tools. And so, um, and so I grew up kind of with, you know, I think that's part of what I love doing is being like a female voice for science just because I, I think a lot of times it's um, women are neglected in that. Like, well, you know, all the shirts at, at Target are like science shirts for boys. And then the girls are like, I'm a baby princess. And so we're still taught that, like, it's not a not a woman's place. And I think I so part of what I try to do, especially with ologies and with innovation is, you know, I, I interview a ton of female innovators and CEOs and um, who it's so it's it's always great to show that kind of um to show people who you wouldn't think of as a scientist, like are scientists. We just, we haven't maybe grown up with them in the, you know, in pop culture. And, you know, even lately I, you know, I pitched stuff to big science networks and I'm told we would love this if you were a guy. I'm still told that in 2018. Really? Mm-hmm. I got told last week that we love you. We love your voice. We love the show. You know, our audience is mostly male skewing and they just don't, they don't want to hear science from a woman. Like, I'm still told that. And I'm like, oh, we have a ways to go here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, admittedly, sometimes I'm probably just going to dig myself into a hole here. But, um, you know, when you're watching sports and you have the female commentary, it still feels awkward to me. Not that I don't want to see it, but I know that it's a slow shift. And so there's this like tide of of change but it takes it takes a while it takes a while before you're used to seeing someone you're not you know you're yeah. used to seeing like an old dude in a bad sports coat with a headset being like and he's on the outside and then <laughs> and then you're like oh what's this like 
semi-attractive person who looks like she's been outdoors. Right. And and also, you know, I think that there's a weird... <laughs> she looks like she's been outdoors. You know what I mean? Just, just outdoors. <laughs> just outdoors. As opposed to like <laughs> right. some like... Smells like an- crispy leaves. <laughs> Just someone who's like some anemic sports commentator who's like, uh, like hasn't had his cholesterol checked in forever. But I think that's funny because it's like in that merging of having like women voices, you know, talking about things that are typically like seen as like male arenas, no pun intended. It's like, well, maybe if we just sexualize them, people will get used to them. So it's like, you know, you see like female meteorologists and like tiny cocktail dresses and like female sports commentators who have like have to get like eyebrow lifts before they're allowed on TV. So it's like, uh, you know, it's still that it's still that extra price. But it's just it's crazy because I I personally know so many female scientists. Right. And um, and I'm like, oh, this isn't represented. I know like so many neuroscientists, engineers at NASA and um, they're just kind of too busy doing their work to to really be like, oh, well, I guess on top of that, I've got to be an advocate for, you know, and they do it and they do right. it beautifully. But um, well, that, that's what I was going to ask you, too. Like how much of your advocacy shows up? Like I, I, I don't see you at the soapbox, you know, leading the nasty woman march. Right. But <laughs> it is like, look, I have a platform. I can just, uh, you know tell these stories on par with the rest of the other stories I tell. Right. I think that's kind of what I try to do with ologies is I, I have about half women, um, maybe even a little bit more, um, is the ologists on. And I never brand it as like a women in STEM podcast. Cause it's not, there's men too. Right. And, um, and so I try to really diversify, um, in all aspects who I talk to. And because I just, I want people to get used to hearing, here's a scientist. Oh, it's a, it's a woman's voice or here's a scientist. Oh, they have an accent. Interesting. Is that a woman? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Turn us off. What's she doing in there? No, I, you know, I, 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 um, it's a, it's a topic of conversation, uh, often, or I, especially now, right. There's a whole climate around like just divisiveness or like, I want my voice heard and so on and so forth. And I've always felt like, you know, if you're going to do a women's panel, in some ways, it kind of does women a disservice because because yeah. what happens is you just put the you gave them their 30 minutes yep. and then you're like, all right, back to our normally scheduled you know yeah. programming. You've invited them to the party and then put them at their own table. It right. feels like being in the kids table sometimes. And you're like, I appreciate that. It's at least it's that, you know, there's trying to be more visibility. But I just think when it comes to, um, you know genders and even like non-binary genders and um diversity like just incorporate everyone so that we get used yeah, to like the panels just look it. like what the what that particular yeah. industry looks yeah. like um so that no that's interesting and, and i guess um from a just a chatting with everybody that you've talked to on your show mm-hmm. what is sort of i guess one of the biggest takeaways you've seen in creating analogy or like what what's your definition of analogy and then what have you seen as like some of the common threads oh you know it's funny because like i came across this list right and i also studied latin so uh when i was in high school what what, have, what i know you came here telling me i was busy you no. were... <laughs> well, i mean i this is in high school so i can't re- oh, I'm resting right. way back on those laurels but sure. i i always loved etymology i always loved word origins i think it's so interesting how elastic language and and expression are like right. the, the way that we talk is is culturally going to be so different in, in the future so um I always thought that was interesting, but so an ologist is anyone who studies, um, even if they're not 
professionally doing that, they're still a student of it. You're still a studier. You're still an ologist. If you're if you're in, um, you know, grad school, med school for endocrinology, like you're still an endocrinologist. Um, so anyone who studies something in particular, like you might be. It's funny too because the etymology of some of some of these gets so specific that you might be a toothologist who studies squids, but a toothologist is also a malacologist who studies mollusks. So it's like you can get pretty deep in there. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so you are the only densinologist. That's true. Only one. Yeah. Um, and so I think I, I mean just, there are other densins, and I'm sure they study themselves to a degree. So did you do an SEO? Did you like do a search engine optimization to make sure you were the only person with that? tag and title so I, so I was densinator <laughs> and then and that was like an old aim chat room uh-huh. uh, when i used to get lucky and <laughs> uh and then but a couple of like my nephew ended up doing one on his own and that, like like a couple of other ones popped up and i was uh-huh. like uh, let me see if i can change the game a little i love bit. it so i think it's um I had a company called curiology for a while that was uh, my illustration and like a t-shirt company and uh I think that's how I came upon the list of ologies is I was like, is curiology the study of curiosity? I wonder. And I looked it up and it actually means um, the study or it means uh, writing with pictures. So if you have a symbol on a door that tells you that that's the exit or a symbol on a door that says women's restroom or whatever, that's curiological. That's a picture that is used to convey language so i thought that was an interesting name so that's how i came that's how i came across the study of this is, this is actually fascinating like it's, yeah like every answer is like lead me to like 10 more questions i know it's like well then what about so I'm, gonna try to, I'm gonna try to stump you <laughs> <laughs> um so i have a, just a you know i think a lot of innovation invention is reinvention to some degree and i think it sounds like over the course of your career you've done a bit of repositioning oh God, and re- so <laughs> um <laughs> How do you get people to go along on the ride with you? Because, you know, I'm sure I think one of the last times we talked, you did come on an old show I used to do uh-huh. and made us drinks. And yep. it was super fun. But I think at the time you were already on like a, there was a new Alley Ward. Right. So <laughs> I reached out to you like, make me some drinks, please. And you're like, OK, I'll do it. Like, you know, but I think sometimes when you are in this process of rebranding, even if you're a real brand, mm-hmm. it's like we've come to know you as X, but now you're Y and but it's on you as the person who's changed to like tell that story. So how do you go about crafting your personal brand around your evolution? Oh, it's so weird. It's funny. Cause it's like, I felt like when I started doing science TV, I felt like people started seeing the real me and I was really nervous about that. Cause I felt like it was, you know, when I was doing cooking channel TV and I still do to an extent, but like I would wear cocktail dresses. I was always with a friend of mine. Like we, we made like, we made crazy drinks that were kind of tongue in cheek and always had like, um, kind of dark humor around it. So the sensibility and the humor and the writing were of a similar voice, but the topic was really different. And I think what what started bumming me out was that I, you know, I'll have a, a margarita every couple of weeks socially or whatever, but I'm I'm not actually a big drinker. And what started to bum me out is that people started seeing me as like always they always were like oh were you were you, were you drunk at the airport and it was like no dude like i'm <laughs> hustling like i'm working like right. you know and i remember one of the first posts i did about the museum i was like uh you know i i got my badge to start uh volunteering at the museum you know and i'm drunk yeah someone was like <laughs> someone was like oh you better not tip back too much whiskey before you teach kids stuff and i was like 
like you know right. i'd done drunk history and stuff but I, I just started to it got to the point where i was like okay the brand that i have i feel like is a little bit toxic to the world to just be like um i'm this i'm this girl that wears high heels and likes a good time and i was just like i studied so hard in school i loved like i loved biology i loved latin like i i always I always worked really hard to try to make like a good life for myself. And I just wound down this corridor that felt like a misrepresentation, like a super exaggeration of like that of happy hour, you know? Right. And so it became almost vital for me that like rebranding was like, I can't, I cannot die on earth having my greatest contribution be a, like a chicken McNugget cocktail. Like I right. have to be able to contribute more. <laughs> like, so it was almost like do or die. It was like, okay, well I'm going to start posting the bugs I'm digging for on my off time. And I'm going to start, um, you know, putting up pictures of friends who are like, you know, working on JPL spacecraft. And right. If people bail, then they bail, but at least I'll, at least I'll die having put out who I really no, was. That's, that's, <laughs> that, I mean, you know, again, it's like finding that entry point, which yeah. was like making cocktails and a dress. And, like, yeah. and it was great entertainment, you know, um, and then not becoming that, yeah, you know, uh, or being cognizant of the fact that this is a character of right. sorts. Right. And which I think at the end of the day also just adds to your repertoire as an entertainer. You know, that you can't embody, a, you know, a person who's different than who you are to right. an extent. But I think also from a journalistic standpoint, like you have to be you. You so, have to be you. I yeah. think I think that there was something, you know, a few years ago. And I feel like it's especially in the last year or two, like, you know, social climate's so crazy and people's voices are. We're realizing that people keeping their voices silent has been super detrimental people mm -hmm. thinking other people will speak for them has been detrimental and so i think the last couple of years in particular it's been like oh it's vital for everyone to be who they are and it's vital for people to speak out against things that they don't think are cool and it's vital for people to support other people who who need it and, and to to put a spotlight on people's work that's amazing that might not be getting attention like that's all pretty vital like it and it felt like you know the the money I was making doing cocktail videos, like, dude, I wouldn't get paid a lot from the from the network, but the sponsorship deals you get are insane, and so there was a lot of pressure to keep that up because my persona is someone who's just like loves a, to you know drink a <laughs> bottle of wine at three p.m. Like right. that's lucrative. Like wine companies are like great you know like they are willing to pay keep out. drinking yeah and so <laughs> we'll get you a new liver don't worry about it exactly <laughs> like i'll pay for dialysis later <laughs> when kidneys fail exactly. group on exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yellow tails <laughs> kidney dialysis group on you and three of your friends oh my god <laughs> so like it was a lot of no not good so i was like um yeah it just became like okay well i had to make a choice like i knew that the that my work doing like doing science and doing uh, trying to fuse comedy and science had more longevity because no one's going to want me as like a 50 year old woman. It's super cute when your face still looks right. good. But as soon as you start looking haggard, like you being you being like you guys like whiskey and it's like, well, sit down, Aunt Allie. Like, <laughs> hey, fellas. <laughs> yeah, it's not cute anymore. Well, people definitely don't want to see me as a 50 year old woman. That's the other. Well, I don't know. You've got great bone structure. Thank you. Thank <laughs> I mean, you. I just got it. You just got it. Group on. Once again, group on. Yes. Um, so you have a vast vocabulary. You've said a lot of Dude, fancy I mean, words today. Have I? 
Yes. Thank you. Not like overly fancy, but they're like, I, I can see. And the reason I picked up on that, because you at the very beginning, you mentioned vocabulary as a segment I of what do. you do. Um, tell us about that. Tell us about the linguistics of Allie Ward when it comes to. I don't know. Entertaining I, folks. I just think linguistics are so fascinating. I think it's the the weirdest thing. And I've always wanted to do like a book or an illustrated book about etymology. Like I remember I got this book of etymology years ago, back when people had books. And there was um, this one etymology, the word buxom. When you think of the word buxom, what do you think of? Sorry, I was drinking some Kavita. They're not even a sponsor of the show. Um, Tipping it back. <laughs> yes. I think of bosoms. That's exactly. the first thing I, I think of. But exactly. it's usually the first thing I think of. So. Well, it's always... What do you think of when I talk about uh, jurisdiction? Bosoms. Same thing. <laughs> Pelicans. Yep. yep um, so All okay. roads lead, lead to okay, bosoms. Right. Yes, but buxom, yes, that's the first thing that comes to mind. So buxom has this etymology where it meant uh, it started meaning a plot pliable branch, a branch you could bend, and then it meant compliant, and then it meant cheerful, and then it meant sexy, and then it meant boobs. So like the etymology of the word buxom has just changed incrementally from a, a twig you can bend to like, what a great rack. And I remember being like, what is language? Like, none of it is none of it is in concrete. It's changing all the time. Right. That's so weird. Like the, we're sitting at a desk and a desk could be like, could mean like, a nuptial. It could be like a could end up being like something that's totally different depending on how it's used. That's very true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How does that happen? I just I think it's just incremental incremental changes in context. And so I think that like I think it's so interesting that our brains shape the what we use to communicate as we need it. Like the the words don't define us; we define the words. And so I always was really interested in etymology. And so you know we do this segment at the end of. Innovation Nation, where it's it's called Mocabulary, although some people have said it should be called Ward's Words or Alleycabulary, oh. <laughs> but it's Mo. We love Mo. It's Mocabulary. But um, we take the two biggest words from the show, like our two most obscure words that you might not know, and then we define them at the end. So That's cool. And it started, it's really cool how it started because we shot our first episode um, and we were talking to someone who was a healthcare innovator and they used the word democratize about healthcare. And the editors were like, shoot, we should take this out. That's going to be too big a word. And our showrunner, um, Jim Lichtenstein, was like, well, wait, what if we keep it in? But then we just add a segment where we define the words. So it was great. It really kind of encourages us to to speak up to the audience instead of speak down to them. Yeah. And so, and then I get to look at etymology and define the words and make this crazy segment that's, at the uh, end. Yeah, no, that's that's a thousand percent fascinating. Like, yeah, I think it's cool that they they had a choice. Like there was a pivot in the road where they're like, let's dumb this down or let's make it even better. And I think it's so cool that they did that. And then it gives me an extra segment, you guys. Double the FaceTime. I think about where the word dick came from. Mm-hmm. Where did it come from? I have no idea. I, I like I, it's, 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 it's like Richard as a nickname. And it was like, was Richard such a jerk or so sexually active? Like, was it what, what happened where this became like, not only is it a, a euphemism for an organ, it's also sure like is. an insult. It's all, it's, I know. It's all the, it means like to tinker around. Like, I know. oh, why are you dicking around over there? It's just like, I'm going to look it up after this. Yes. I do I, this. I do this on ologies all the time. Like, ologies always starts with the etymology of the ology. And like, gynecology came from um, a Greek word, Gwen, which means queen. 
So gynecology is just huh. like the study of your queen <laughs> of sorts. <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> Every single one is super, I think is kind of interesting. Like, um, Do you have a guiding principle or mantra that you operate by? Just more money, more money, more money. No. <laughs> more money, more money, more money, more problems. Oh, no. <laughs> great, notorious B.I.G. Statement. Um, yeah, no, I gave him that. I gave, he oh. was like, can I use that? And I was like, Piggy, go for it. You're like, it was, that was a conversation at the Peterson Automotive Museum? Yes, it was. You're like, all right, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I love the Peterson, dude. Eric's here. Uh, I don't think you know Biggie died right after he left the Peterson yeah. Automotive Museum. He oh, was no. shot and killed. All right, I was cool. like, catch you later. Call me tomorrow. <laughs> not so much. It's almost not fun. I have a couple no. of... Oh, sorry, did you answer the question before I no. go off on a tangent? I can't remember. I think I, I think my guiding principle is just uh, probably... You know, actually, I had to go... I was moderating a panel at the Dolby Theater, which was like a million people, and I was very wow. nervous. It was super... I was very nervous, and I was like... Ah! Like, I had the thing where I was like, I need a diaper, but I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do this anyway. And the thing that i told myself right before i went on is show up like you belong and have fun and ever since then that was a couple years ago and whenever i'm super nervous about something or i'm doubting myself it's always just like just show up like you belong and just try to roll with it like usually being like maybe if i'm uptight people will take me seriously it doesn't really work just be yourself i think it's funny i mean it's a great principle especially when i think about you know the audience of this show you know who are aspiring innovators and most of us walk into a pitch of some sort either you're pitching yourself like in the instance that you just described Mm -hmm. or you're pitching a business concept or you're pitching something internally that you want and we show up from a place of lack like i need to convince you that this is the thing as opposed to you know like you just said is showing up and owning it like you you need this not like (laughs) i need to sell this to you it's you know how often do you come across this and i just talked about this in the gynecology episode oddly enough is talked about imposter syndrome have you come across it have you all the time like i have imposter syndrome all the time like it's crazy how common it is with super high achieving super intelligent people have imposter syndrome and it's almost a mark well thank you i mean no literally i honestly study this like um i am flattering you because i want a free copy of your book but i'm also being (laughs) honest but um but no like um it's funny the opposite of it is called the dunning-kruger effect where you don't realize how stupid you are Like the Dunning-Kruger effect is when you're like, for example, I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best, which we hear sometimes. I'm a social media guru. Yeah. Or you hear it from political parties sometimes. Um, But 